Good day to you all and welcome. My name is Mark Washburn. I'm CEO of ReadyTech and I'm delighted to bring you today a live discussion as part of uh, ReadyTech's Worked podcast series. This is a medium where we seek to explore and decipher uh, the future of work and education. By way of introduction to today at ReadyTech, we enjoy a broad footprint across the payroll sector with our technology HR3, HR3+, ePayroll, as well as our managed service Aussie Pay. And I think arguably never has there been a time like the last couple of years with so much change for those of us in payroll, be it the introduction of single touch payroll, changes to annualized salaries and awards, and of course, most recently, JobKeeper payments all has kept us extremely busy. In fact, payroll has never actually really been far from front page news for the last couple of years. And I think it's fair to say that for payroll, change is the new normal, and, and that is our theme for today. We thought who better to discuss that with and to to really zoom out and look at some of the big trends in the industry. And that's the go-to person for all things payroll, in fact, and uh, and that is Tracy Angwin, and we're delighted to have her. So Tracy, I think it's fair to say, has uh, forgotten more than most of us know about payroll. And Tracy, that is meant as a compliment, Uh, as well as leading the Australian Payroll Association. uh, Tracy is a best-selling author, a popular media commentator, as well as known as an industry innovator. And I particularly admire Tracy because she has always had strong opinions and is not afraid to speak out. This should be a colourful and and fascinating discussion. So uh, let's say hello uh, to the woman herself, Tracy Angwin. Thank you so much for coming on Worked. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for having me. Are you saying that um, I can say whatever I like today? Uh, <laughs> absolutely, but I might need you to sign a disclaimer. Uh, That's right. That none of your views reflect those of ReadyTech. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Perhaps we should put that up front. <laughs> now, so, I'm sure we have very similar views, which is why um, you know we, we're both you know passionate about this topic. Fantastic. So, and I see you're back in the office today, not at home. Yes, we are back in the office. Um, it's we've got a really collaborative work style here, and uh, everyone, while whilst we still have an option to be at home. Um, everyone is back in the office. Fantastic. And found lots of pros and cons of the last three months of the working from home. Yeah, look, I mean, it, it hasn't really, we haven't really skipped a beat um, yeah. because we were always had a flexible work arrangements anyway. Um, our help desk inquiries of, uh, for April went up 450% Whoa. compared to last April. So um, right. I don't think anyone noticed except for the people that were taking the calls. I'm sure. Um, yeah, so it's worked, it's worked well. It's almost like tested out our flexibility policy, which yeah. is good. Now, I did actually want to say, Tracy, at the start there, and to those that are watching, we will have some time later for some Q&A uh, after about 40 minutes of, of discussion. You can lodge any questions for Tracy at the bottom of your screen. Tracy, you're good if we put you on the spot later, right? Yeah, sure. You so can like, take all li- the hard ones. Live Q&A. What could possibly go wrong? No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all good. Fantastic. Look, Tracy, where we always like to start on the Work podcast is to have guests tell us about their their own career journey. And uh, so just love you to share that story, first of all, and uh, and also link to that. Why payroll? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, I always think it's interesting as well to understand where people have come from. Um, I grew up in New Zealand, actually, and did a business degree uh, in Christchurch. 
And while I was doing that, uh, my degree, I used to work part-time at a place called Copyland, which was a desktop publishing and photocopying and printing place. Uh, And one of the things I used to do there was print these big manuals and bind them. Um, And there were hundreds of these things that we were were doing. And I remember someone I worked with at the time saying, oh, that's a really great company. If there was an opportunity for me to work there, I would do that. He was a graphic designer. I don't think they had any call for graphic designers. But um, after I finished my business degree, they did have a a role that was available in um, in the marketing department. And I found, and I actually was successful in applying for that role. Um, And turns out they did time and attendance, rostering and payroll technology. Um, It was actually a company called Time Master Systems, which became Pay Global, uh, which is now owned by MYOB. So I spent 16 years then. I I moved with um, Time Master Systems to Australia in 1995 and uh, spent 16 years working in the payroll technology sector, about half of that, which was back then uh, micropay. Uh, And I was just really exhilarated by what I saw, the change that I saw when you could, you know, we were going from where, you know, paper money and paper um, pay slips were being delivered by vans and people didn't know how to use computers. So as the, you know, as employees understood how to use computers more, um, you know, the cost of computers got lower, the typically outsourced payroll function was coming in-house. And I was really excited by the change that I saw in business by just introducing new technology, which is why I spent so long in technology. And look, I just fell into payroll like every single other person that I know. And I'm incredibly grateful to have uh, you know have found this place uh, in business because it's a really exciting it's a really exciting place to be. Look, it's a great story, a very common story, I think, with such mm-hmm. an unexpected career path. And uh, look, I say I say often say that payroll is one of the most important, uh, complex, and yet probably underrated functions of uh, of our organisations. Do you think that's Do you think that's fair? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I say this all the time that you know no one thanks you for getting your payroll right Um, no one in fact it's funny a few years ago I had this discussion over the years with my husband and he said to me oh I saw Jenny the other day and I said oh what do you see Jenny for he said I I went and thanked her for my payroll and I said oh you didn't and he said yeah you say that no one thanks people for their payroll so I make it a point every fortnight to go and thank Jenny for my payroll and I said oh dear she'll think that you're weird (laughs) sort of stalking her or something but that is it is true you only find out about payroll uh, you only really talk to payroll when there's something wrong and I, I think that that's a real uh, a real issue essentially we in the payroll department you're managing the largest cost typically of an organization and also typically the most important asset so why we shouldn't be having a laser focus on payroll uh, I don't know and unfortunately still many many employers are far from that position I might start a new campaign say thanks to payroll hashtag say there you go thanks for the idea um, so, <laughs> I'll share it. <laughs> now, as, as I said before, obviously going from being involved in the technology industry to, to running the association, I think you're really considered in, in our industry a thought leader. And as I said at the top, you're one of these rare people who is not afraid to speak up. Where did that come from? I'm the eldest of four children. I think that probably had a lot to do with it. Um, yeah. I've always had an opinion and I've certainly had an opinion on, you know, um, how Perhaps my, you might want to talk to my siblings how they might do things differently. <laughs> um, and you're right, I'm not afraid to challenge the status quo if I believe in it because I've actually seen the change that can happen by taking a dysfunctional or inefficient payroll function 
to a really functional and efficient payroll function. And the, and it doesn't just affect payroll, it affects the whole business. Yeah. So one of the, um, you know, just seeing what's possible, one of the very first pieces of consulting work that I did was with Australian Hearing many years ago now. And we were able to optimise their payroll function for them and they saved, without cutting heads in the pay office, they cut 55% of the delivery costs of their payroll. Mm. Now, I just had to work out how many hearing aids and hearing tests that would be per year that Australian hearing can now deliver to the general public. Mm. That's what excites me. So I, can, I know what's possible. And it's not just a technology fix. Yeah. Um, I, used to, I, I obviously come from technology, but technology is only part of the, part of the solution. So what... I was able to do once I went from technology to more uh, more services around payroll services and training, I was able to decode what best practice looks like because I've literally spent many years with hundreds and thousands of customers transforming their payroll function. And there's, there's nothing really new that I've seen in probably the last 15 years. So all I needed to do was decode it and create a methodology. Um, I've written a book, which is the decoding of that profit for payroll, it's not difficult. It's just that we don't see enough employers focusing on it. It's truly just get the right people doing the right things, with uh, have the right processes with good governance and, and um, manage your risk and get some fit-for-purpose technology that actually suits your organisation and adds, adds to the value that payroll can give to the organisation. That's really all it is. So I'm very... I just don't think that's actually a controversial view. So that's pretty much what I'm talking about all day. Yeah, no, awesome. So I think, uh, yeah, really, well, I think what you're talking about there is really solving real business problems and also finding the opportunity in payroll, which uh, which, is, which is probably not so well understood. I'd like to go deeper then into the topics for today. And as I said at the start, it's been a, a time of big changes and uh, I'm sure it's been very stressful for many of those working in payroll as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, let's talk about one of the, those big areas of change and what is known as underpayments and increasingly known as wage theft. Um, but of course, linked to uh, the changes to annualised salaries and uh, new fair work rules. So, you've obviously had an insider's view on this uh, for the last couple of years. What are, what are you seeing, and where do you think we're headed? Well, I really dislike the term wage theft. I think the papers mainly use it. Um, that's pretty much who uses it. Look, there is payroll fraud for sure. I'm not saying that, but it is payroll fraud. It's not wage theft. So, yep. you know, um, the the Seven Elevens of this world. Um, there's and there's uh, I, I see you know taking advantage of of uh, people on on student visas. That's payroll fraud. There are also people in jail right now because of payroll fraud. So let's not mix up what's payroll fraud and what's underpayments. Now, I'm not saying that. Uh, underpayments is something to be proud of. Absolutely. It's, but there is a difference between underpayments and wage theft. I think it's interesting. And I, I think we'll talk about it later, some changes in, in Victoria, but we have worked with, I need to be quite careful because obviously we've signed confidentiality agreements with, with almost every client that we work with, mm-hmm. but we've worked with most of the organizations that you read about in the paper and have read about in the paper for the last uh, couple of years. So I've worked personally with the executives, um, as have my team. I've not met one person in any of those organisations who didn't ha- have great shock and regret yeah. at realising that they have been underpaying their staff. It does make great headlines. It is a massive problem. Clearly, it is a massive problem. So the vast majority you're seeing have been genuine mistakes. 
hundred percent. And and it's not. Um, it's again, it's it's still poor payroll practice yeah. because it comes from this sort of set and neglect mentality. We set up our systems once and we rely on them. You know, they're not checking outputs. It's just you can't just set up a system and just think that that's going to do all the work for you. There's many, many things in the pay office that have to have decisions made about them that a system doesn't do, doesn't know. So the reliance on systems is probably the biggest issue and the lack of um, the lack of training and qualifications by the payroll team in that they don't know what they're looking for necessarily if you don't train them correctly. Yeah. So, so how would you how would they recognize an underpayment if they don't know what they're looking for? We'll come back to that. And interestingly you mentioned there about Victoria, you know, we're seeing the wage wage theft bill coming in. They're also using that term where mm-hmm. and the first question that's literally come through is what's Tracy's view on the new Victorian legislation? <laughs> Uh, so, you know, here we're going to see criminal charges, even jail time and for directors. Uh, and that I think that has got to make people stand up and take notice. I imagine that's going to become that's become a big issue around board tables. Well, you'd like to think so. Um, we are starting to see this. Yeah. Um, we are starting to have, you know, we obviously do a lot of payroll consulting. And so when and the inquiry that we're getting is now probably... It used to be maybe 2%. Now it's probably more like 40 50%. This is a board directive. Certainly when I did the AICD course a few years ago now and we talked about risk, I couldn't believe that payroll wasn't you know, in the right. top handful of risks that yeah. should be on any board director's yeah. list of risks or the, on, the, on the risk register. Um, but certainly, you know, I, I think it's really interesting that Victoria's gone to do this. As, a, as I say, I don't particularly like the term, but it gets people's attention. And it's not just directors, it's managers, and it's also individuals who are complicit in the, in the uh, wage theft. Um, so I think, you know, payroll managers, HR directors, um, financial controllers, uh, as well as board directors should really have a, as I say, a laser focus on payroll if you don't already. Yeah, and uh, come back to education a little later. And of, of course, linked to the changes to with annualised salaries and awards is the notion of uh, needing to reconcile the actual time time work to, to, to what should be paid and potentially the introduction of timesheets and, dare I say, Bundy clocks. Uh, and you, we've spoken about it before. Obviously, you know, for, for many of of us, it feels like a step backwards. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it brings to mind for me a quote by uh, Scott Farquhar from Atlassian uh, just a couple of weeks ago, who said, um, in a digital world, nine to five does not make sense anymore. And it, and it feels like uh, the uh, introduction of, of, of this type of uh, timesheeting is, is a little out of step with uh, how the modern workplace operates. So I'd love to hear your views on that. Yeah, it's it's a good point, and we, as you know, the, the Fair Work Act. Um, in fact, one of the the national employment standards is around the right to flexible work yeah. and the right to request flexible work. So, look, I don't want to call it policy on the run, but it just feels like a knee jerk reaction. That the annualised salary ruling. Um, for me, the biggest issue I have with it is the effects on culture. So, um, you know, you're saying, like I might say to my team. I trust you. I employ you because you're great at what you do. I don't care where you do it. We've just been through the whole COVID situation where, you know, everyone did exactly the same outputs and quality of work working from home as they did in the office. So I can say, I trust you. You can have flexible work arrangements, but I still need now when you're working from home for you to do a timesheet and tell me when your breaks were. And it just feels wrong. So I have a real issue around the culture of, you know, people having to 
keep track, essentially go back to timesheets, which I was doing when I was about 14 and working in a, in a coffee shop. Yeah. Personally, that's my biggest issue with it. Um, practically, from our client's point of view, it's, 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 it's a nightmare. I mean, you're doubling the work potentially in a pay office. It, it just doesn't work in a modern world. I think Scott's absolutely right. Um, and I, I look... I never liked it. I never will. I imagine it, it will. I mean, there's talk of it going to more, you know, more awards than are currently yes. affected by it. I just think it'll be really interesting to see how it's actually policed. So um, yeah. will it just be used for organisations who do have underpayment issues? I'm sure one of the reasons this is brought in is because we talk to employers who say, look, we think we've been underpaying employees. And we'll say, no trouble at all. We can work that out. Um, just send us your, you know, your time and attendance data or, your, you know, we had 20,000 timesheets sitting in our office once for about three months. Um, the problem is when, when employers say, well, we don't, we don't have wage records. Well, how, how am I supposed to know if you've been underpaying your staff? Yeah. You don't actually. So that's, that's possibly where, where it's come from. So I think the jury's out for me as to exactly where this is going to go because, we won't know until the regulator mm. uses it or doesn't in a prosecution. Mm. And it's a difficult one. I think, you know, of course we all want people to be paid fairly and, and to the award. And in some ways, you know, more working from home, it does seem that they're more sort of blending into our personal lives and, and, and phones on all the time. Uh, we're sure that many are working much longer hours. So it's a difficult one. But I, I'm really with you on the timesheets on, on the trust issue. And I think that a really good relationship between employee and employer is based on trust and it's based on mm -hmm. some give and take um, and uh, you know introducing timesheet does feel like a, a genuine eroder uh, of that goodwill and, and trust between the two so look, it's uh, it's going to be uh, watch this space I think isn't it really and and, and mm -hmm. how will the big stick be wielded and the problem is is for the less than one percent of organizations that are doing the wrong thing deliberately or otherwise yeah. you've got a hundred percent of the organizations now having to pay the burden for that yeah, and it, it is it is a costly. You know, some employers have had to spend a lot of money to yeah. Um, yeah. be compliant. With I think it. it's going a bit slower. The the, the advance of that with COVID nineteen, sure, come, it, but it will come back. Well, it's gone off the front pages for a bit, but it will definitely be back. Yeah, yeah. So uh, another big change, I think, in ways of working. Really, the way that we're working in the economy and society is is increasing sort of casualization that we're seeing. Um, also gig workers, probably more contract workers. Some of that has been, I suppose, accelerated by changes in technology. Uh, you know, it's in some ways it's like there's a, a fracturing of the economy and some of the traditional structures uh, are, uh, are being undone. So what are you seeing there in, in pay offices? And I guess another second part of the question is, do you think that the regulation around that is working? Yeah, look, I think from a casual point of view, I think we're there's more to go on this with the recent decision um, around the casual um, yeah. workforce. Again, I think it's incredibly problematic, that decision for the pay office. Um, in terms of the gig economy, um, look, I think there's a place for a technology solution here, but the ATO and Fair Work need to be on board with that. My team have, uh, about a year ago, we sort of whiteboarded what a solution might look like. Yeah. Um, and it's definitely, you know, definitely possible. It's just needs to have, um, you know, like I say, the tax office and fair work on board to be able to do that properly. I mean, we're certainly going down that that path. Um, 
and perhaps the gig economy is actually with the with the decisions around the casual workers. Perhaps the gig economy is going to be even more important now um, because you employers might just choose not to have casuals but just have contractors. Yeah, yeah. So uh, interesting. Another topic I'd just like to delve into is it, it was front page news again this week is payroll tax, and uh, I'm sure you saw the head of West Farmers, Rob Scott. <laughs> Uh, he came out and said, uh, called for payroll tax to be scrapped. And uh, I'm really arguing, and I think interesting argument, that at a time when we're trying to create jobs, uh, why are we taxing against jobs? And uh, another, another thing he said, which I found was really interesting, was that as we get more and more you know, uh, digital and technology that disrupts industries, that it's really a, almost a disadvantage to those that uh, you know, are more people-based. And of course, for many years, we've had calls for some harmonization across what is quite a complex system of payroll tax. So do you think we're going to see change and maybe a simplification? The issue is, uh, and I, I agree with Rob, um, but the issue is the states are quite addicted to the payroll tax revenue. So there's going to have to be some federal and state yeah. conversation around that. Um, I've been saying for years that payroll tax is just a tax on employment. It's a tax on growth. It's not. It's just not a tax that feels good to pay. Um, will we see? I mean, we've seen some levels of harmonisation over the years on on payroll tax, um, but essentially there's still different rates. I mean, the states literally use their payroll tax um, rates and and thresholds as an incentive for organisations to put their uh, their workers in that state. They do. So, I mean, I'd love to see the end of payroll tax, but it's it will be replaced by something else. But it would. I would rather it be replaced by. I mean, I'm not an economist, but I'd rather be replaced by, you know, an increase in company tax. So we then the employer can make the decision um, about which one they want to pay. I think it does, the problem with payroll tax as well is because it is a direct tax on employment. Um, I, I imagine that particularly after COVID and we've found out that you don't actually need to turn up to an office, there may well be roles that employers decide to offshore. Yeah. Um, because they don't have to pay payroll tax, it's cheaper labour. And so I think we've got to really look at this from a global perspective, not just a yeah. you know state versus federal mm. perspective. I think it's a, such a fascinating time politically, you know, with the formation of the of the national cabinet. You know, I suppose they're looking at it to never waste a crisis. And what seemed very very difficult maybe last year, you know, now seems more more, more possible to change between federal and state. I mean, you know that. COAG got scrapped, right, which has been in place for 20-odd years, I think. So I think it's almost like the shackles are off and the political will's there. So, uh, you mm-hmm. know, we, we might be surprised with what further change that we see uh, between sure. federal and state. Um, I think we've uh, we've spoken about this before. I know it's an area that, and I like to see you get animated, and it's about long <laughs> service leave. So you're going to wind me up. <laughs> I'd, I'm going to see if I can press your buttons. <laughs> now, right. long service leave... <laughs> Long service leave will do it. <laughs> I know it's very complex, different rules depending on different jurisdictions yeah. and so forth. And actually, we saw again, we saw last week more news. A court decided that a casual employee was entitled to long service leave. So tell us about long service leave. Okay. So I think what we've spoken about before is that I've probably mentioned to you that I've never seen long service leave be correct in a payroll system. And people think that's outrageous. And they say, no, no, we, our accruals always work properly. But um, most payroll systems accrue long service leave um, in hours or days. Uh, long service leave is not accrued in hours and days. It's accrued in weeks. Mm. And the value of a week can differ um, based on your um, how, how long you've worked in terms of hours per week over the last 
um, 12 months, five years, or the lifetime of your employment with that employer. Uh, and what, what state you're in. So the chances, honestly, of anyone really getting long service leave correct uh, is is really remote. I mean, Victoria made it even more complicated where now you can take, you know, single days and you've got now parental leave contributing to uh, calculation of, of long service leave. So it is by far the most difficult and misunderstood area of payroll. Um, in our uh, masterclass um, payroll training, we devote about 40% of that to long service wow. leave because that's how difficult it is. As I say, I've never seen a payroll system handle it correctly. If you are not manually calculating your long service leave, you are highly likely to be doing it incorrectly. Mm. Um, we do have some sort of cheat sheets and spreadsheets to, to, to assist but um, when you pay out long service leave, it really is, it has to be a, a manual calculation based on you know, state mm-hmm. uh, and, and how long the yeah. person's been working and what their work pattern has been over the period of time that you're calculating it for. To make it more complex, in some industries, it's long service leave is portable, right? And yeah. It's paid into a fund. Yeah. So that's uh, construction's a great example right. of that. Um, I mean, look, we are the only country in the world that has long service leave. The reason we have it is because um, sort of in middle of last century, we had a lot of uh, people come over from Europe and the idea was if you'd spent 10 years at your employer, then you probably uh, were entitled to a trip home, uh, and yeah. w- which would take, by the time you got there by boat, on saw boat. your family and came back, it would take two months. Um, so that's where long service leave comes from. I would love to see long service leave really harmonised and uh, you know, but but again, that's going to take incredible political will, and of course, oh. the unions are going to have a very strong view on how this works. It seems very entrenched. I mean, it's fascinating that it's actually peculiar to Australia, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, it actually, something that came in for that reason, it just just feels again out of step with with the times and uh, a mm-hmm. bit of a relic. And not that I would want want to uh, disentitle people from that, but um, you know, it actually brings to mind a conversation I had on a podcast with, with Daniel Cohen from Flare HR, and he talked about increasingly we will see you know, shorter bursts of, of employment with employers and, and moving around a lot more and um, uh, what he calls tours of duty, uh, which uh, certainly really, really isn't uh, you know, in line with that sort of work, uh, long service leave. One, one idea is to just scrap it and give everyone five weeks a year. How about that? Well, yeah, so the unions might have a view on that. They might well. <laughs> I can't see it changing. Any no, neither can I. Uh, in, amazingly, in researching for the podcast, I, I looked at the different leave entitlements around the world, and it's incredibly diverse. Some countries is over 30 days a year. Uh, in the US, there's actually no federal or state statutory minimum uh, for, mm-hmm. uh, for leaving time, which is pretty incredible, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with all this change that we talked about, society and economy and, and changes, I think faster and faster, as technology evolves and advances, and then you overlay like black swan events like mm-hmm. COVID-19. Uh, I think the way that we think about change at ReadyTech is that it's, it's continual, we should expect it, uh, and it's probably going to be faster, and, uh, and it's going to be hard to predict. Uh, so what, what would you advise is the sort of right mindset and framework for a pay office to be able to keep manoeuvring through change? Well, I've, I've talked for, for many years about the only thing that's really changing is the pace of change. If you're in payroll, you're pretty familiar with yep. change. But, the, but as you say, the pace of change. And I think that pace is really going to step up, as you say, um, never waste a good crisis. So uh, I think we will see some, um, 
some outputs. I mean, you know, there's talk of JobKeeper changing and we're only two months into it. Amazing. So, um, you know, there, there will be change. Look, broadly, there are two types of payroll professional. There's the payroll professional and we need them and we love them that just want to come in and do the job and, you know, they're the workhorses and they're fantastic and you need those people. There are also people who... Um, want to come in and they, they relish change and they love change. As humans, we don't really like change. Um, so we need a balance of those people that um, just want to come and do the job and they're really good at their job, but they, you know, they, they want to be sheltered from the change. And then we need to have people who are more up for it and say, well, what happens if we do tweak this thing over here? How could we optimise that function? Um, so we need both. Um, and if you're a large employer, you, you need a balance between those because change is not going away, that's for sure. Yeah. We, we also need employers to really appreciate this. There are still employers that still think that there's a payroll button in the pay office somewhere that magically you press once a week or fortnight or month and by some miracle all this stuff happens. Sure. I've not found that yet, that button. Uh, when I do, I think I might have to start digging ditches because there'll be no job for me. But, um, you know, the... the there are employers that still don't understand what goes on in a pay office. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, a phrase that springs to mind is that we're living in a VUCA world of volatility, uncertainty, complexity and ambiguity. It certainly feels like that right now. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and, exactly. Uh, so you, you, you obviously, your, your office, your business receives a lot of these inbound calls. I'd imagine, first of all, it's been a very stressful time over the last few months working through all this big change and COVID and everything. But um, but also, are you, are you finding that more organisations are maybe looking at switching from running in-house to, uh, to payroll to maybe thinking this is getting too hard, we should look at outsourcing? What do you think the trend looks mm -hmm. like there? Um, it's been really interesting. We've, I mean, my team are incredibly resilient, so um, I haven't really noticed that they've been stressed. They, <laughs> they, they just get on with the job and they're very focused on helping, you know, helping our members and our clients. So th th that's been fine. What we are finding, look, I, I've seen a trend towards outsourcing for smaller employers, sort of that sort of sub 200, sub 250. And certainly we know that large employers outsource for, um, you know, because they want to keep the cost of their pay, payrolls down. And often, oftentimes that includes uh, an offshore capability as well. Um, we have been getting an awful lot of calls, but not just for outs going from in-house to outsourcing. Empl employers will call us and say, with all these changes, with, um, you know, with annualised salaries, with JobKeeper, with all these changes that have come to us, we've actually just found that our current payroll technology or time and attendance technology or whatever technology they're talking about just doesn't, is just not coping. Um, it's too inflexible. It's, you know, they, uh, we, they doesn't have the functionality to do what we do. We've had to now start some manual processes, which we've spent so much time to get rid of. And they'll say to me, what's the best payroll system? <laughs> um, and of course, I, I can't tell them that um, based on not knowing anything about their business. But we are seeing a huge increase of people asking us um, those questions. So, you know, we refer them to our website. We've got a heap of industry suppliers on our website. We're putting a directory out in, in um, August this year. So um, if anyone does have those questions, maybe jump on our newsletter um, subscription and uh, we'll make sure that we yeah. get that directory out to them. No, as a provider into the space of both technology and outsource, it's it's actually been surprisingly, there's, it's been very, very active I think you're absolutely right. I think at these sorts of times, it sort of exposes maybe rigidity of systems and mm -hmm. systems that can't flex. So um, that's very interesting. One of the other big topics I just wanted to to touch on, uh, obviously been in place now for 
probably a couple of years, uh, single-touch payroll, sending real-time data to the ATO. And, of course, this has sort of significantly expanded what the government uh, can measure and manage through payroll. And a great example of that is, of course, JobKeeper has been tied to the Mm single-touch payroll function, which has been pretty amazing. So, uh, obviously, next round of changes that we're going to see is more connection to other departments and, um, uh, you know, Department of Human Services and so forth in this sort of of all-of-government approach. Uh, so what do you think we should expect to see? Maybe question is in terms of benefits for employers and employees in the future. It's funny, um, we timed this podcast terribly. I've got a single touch payroll employer engagement committee meeting this afternoon with the tax office. Oh, really? <laughs> I, should, I should ask them. You should ask. Um, um, look, I think it's thank goodness for single touch payroll, really, if because otherwise JobKeeper would have been very difficult. Totally. Um, Look, the tax office were sort of selling single-touch payroll to start with as an employee benefit, and all the employers were just saying, all I see is more work for me. Uh, All the payroll providers like yourself were saying, all I see is more cost for us. But, look, I think we're getting to a point where we can actually see there will be benefits both for employers and employees. And certainly the next, as you say, the next step is to include other government organisations, that being Centrelink is obviously a a pretty obvious one. Um, so we can start managing all sorts of payments. Also, the you know state revenue officers, you know, they can't wait to get their hands on this this data. Unless we scrape payroll tax, which I don't think is happening anytime soon, um, it's going to be really helpful for for them as well. So look, I think we will start seeing um, you know more benefits. I think employees are finding it beneficial to be able to log on to MyGov and see superannuation um, amounts and things. So look. I, it's been a good thing. It's been a long, yeah. a long journey so far, and we're only part way through it. Yes. Um, but I think the benefits will now be exponential um, as we continue through this journey in the next few years. And I think the overall master plan, the ATO has been quite progressive here, and uh, you know, very rich data. So I think it'll be fascinating to see what comes down the line. Yeah. Um, a big part of what we we do at ReadyTech is alongside innovation is to think about risk and. Uh, really interested to get your views on how you think payroll providers are managing in terms of some key risks around areas like security as well as uh, privacy issues. Well, look, I mean, data, you know, I just think data's to the modern economy um, what oil was to the industrial economy, right? I mean, it's totally. it's a huge, huge um, asset. Unfortunately, most, most pay offices um, don't use that. Almost employers don't use that asset that they've got sitting there. The problem with, of course, having all this data, which is all per, you know, very personal data, is yep. uh, security and privacy issues. I think from a um, training point of view, I think we're not training people in the pay office well enough or at all, uh, unless they do our courses, of course, um, on security and privacy um, issues and what should happen if there is a breach. We're regularly hearing about attempts on um you know, uh, of hacking into yeah. servers and trying to get payroll data. It, and it doesn't just have to be, we ha- heard it recently of an organisation had their telephone system hacked, which was then uh, a way for the hackers to get into payroll data. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, combined with the gig economy, I think that this is also a real risk. Um, it's really easy to get information out of a payroll system. I was doing a piece of work once where uh, there was a contractor working and I just needed to know that the number of employees on the database, I just needed a number. This fellow downloaded to Excel all of the master file data for every single employee. So I had about 1,200 names, addresses, dates of birth, phone numbers, 
you know, if I was in the business of identity theft, um, I that was that was would have been a, a pretty decent day for me. Um, and I just couldn't believe that a third party contractor was able to download this information into Excel and email it to another third party contractor. And the fact that no one no one in the business was any of the wiser. So um, certainly there are now, you know, there are quite strict laws and quite big fines for security breaches. So we need to be aware of that. More and more uh, payroll data is in the cloud and, um, you know, we need to really understand what that means for business and what to do in the event of a privacy breach. Yeah, no, interesting. I think uh, awareness overall, not just in payroll, but in terms of, of security, um, you know, we, we need to continue to stay very alert and well-educated. So totally agree. Um, payroll is, of course, is, is really the main distributor of cash into people's pockets, right? And, and mm-hmm. the payroll function is, a, is really sort of deeply connected to financial wellness. Do you think we'll see more of the pay function being connected to or supporting financial well-being? I'd like to see um, financial advice being delivered through the pay office. Um, look, again, and that's not with standing you've got to be licensed to provide financial advice yes um but i think that that's just in as, as an employee benefit and employee engagement and uh the fact that you care about your employees you should care about their financial wellness and i don't think that that just means giving you know there, there's some technology around now where you can employees can get their their uh wages in advance or before the not in advance but before that the the payroll's being paid I'm in, still in two minds about that. I think it's really helpful for some, but I think it will, you know, a lot of the payroll managers I talk to are quite worried about that technology right. because, you know, they, they say that the people that will use it are exactly the people that don't, that shouldn't use it. Yeah. Um, and it would be much better perhaps to provide a, you know, some financial wellness programs about, you know, how saving works, how compound interest works. But I don't see many, I, I think the super funds really could play a part in this yeah. as well. I don't see a lot of that happening, but I think it's a huge opportunity for, yeah. you know, for, for that increase in employee engagement and sort of, and also transparency about, you know, when you're 25, you don't think about uh, what happens when, uh, you know, when, when you're 45 and 50. It was funny, actually, in the office this morning, we were having a conversation about super and we've, we had a group of people and the people that were really getting engaged about it were all the over 45s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and all the 20-somethings were like, you know, yeah. I don't even wouldn't even know how much super I had. Um, and way. yeah, exactly. So I think there's a real opportunity for perhaps super yeah. funds um, to to get involved here. Great, really, really, really great advice. I think uh, I think flexible pay. I think is certainly one that uh, we need to watch very closely and manage very responsibly. I think for those mm-hmm. reasons that you mentioned. Yep. Um, across the whole world of technology, we see more and more automation. I think. You, know, you talked about there in your early days of payroll, payslips were still delivered on the back of a truck, right? So we've seen huge efficiency gains or incrementally, haven't we, over a number of years. But you see more automation coming down the track and potentially payroll becoming more people-focused and also adding more of that, being able to add more value to the, to the business strategy. Yeah, look, this is... This is all I talk about every day. Right. <laughs> there is a technology piece. So... Um, you absolutely have to have technology that, that that works for you, but that doesn't fix your problems. And one of the reasons that I got out of technology was because I noticed that these employers were spending all this money on technology and actually finding they didn't get the ROI. Mm. And the reason that they didn't is because they hadn't addressed their processes, their governance and controls, and their people. Mm. So 
I was only speaking to a client yesterday. It's quite a large pay office. There's about 35 in the pay office. They pay thousands of people. It's a complex payroll. And the payroll manager was sort of asking me for advice because she said that they're putting in a time and attendance system. They've got very manual processes now. Um, but she just said, and then they get about 12% inquiries to their pay office every week uh, that right. they do a payroll. So for every 1,000 people they call, they, they pay, they're getting 120 phone calls. That sounds like a lot. That is a huge amount, off the scale amount. So she said that, but the problem is the executive decided that they put this, they've signed off this time and attendance system. So that's the panacea and we'll all be fine. Their real issue is, is their people. Their people see themselves as data entry clerks. So when you're just putting in 20 hours at time and a half, that's just a data, if you're just a data entry clerk, you're just typing that in or you're just making that adjustment. We need people in the pay office to really understand the business. So when they know, when they're putting in 20 hours at time and a half, they actually know what that means. And they can say, you know what, that's weird. For that person in that role, that doesn't seem right. Yeah. Or maybe we know that you're running a manufacturing plant and based on your rosters, everyone gets roughly three to four hours of overtime a week and you're just noticing that they're not. Yeah. Um, or you're noticing they're getting 10. So, like I say, they've made this huge investment, this organisation, in, in this technology, but they're seeing no benefit from it and they won't until they train their staff on what they're actually doing. You know, payroll people need to be curious. And people say to me, oh, I want to get into payroll because I really like numbers. That's great. That's a ticket to the game. But unless you're curious, mm. you are going to struggle to have a successful career in payroll. Yeah, no, really interesting. You mentioned, uh, let's come back to education just once more. We've actually got tons of questions. Go on then. It's my favourite topic. <laughs> let's just do education and actually just going to acknowledge the fact that you more than anyone has actually been out there raising the bar in terms of qualifications for people in payroll. And I guess I just sort of see more change and more and more scrutiny, more front page news. You know, you've, you've, I would expect to see more investment in education and qualifications into the industry. Well, I hope that you're right. And um, look, we have oh, many, oh, seven, eight years ago, I decided that, you know, we expect our HR colleagues to have qualifications. We expect our IT colleagues to have qualifications. Our finance team totally. probably should have some qualifications. Why on earth do we not expect our payroll professionals who manage our largest cost and our most important asset to not be qualified? Yeah. And that's not saying anything against the payroll. I know many brilliant payroll professionals. But if we're going to continue to improve this part of business, we needed to make sure we had payroll qualifications. And I did some, I mean, I had no background in the vet sector. You know um, far more about it than I. And I'm glad I didn't because I think ignorance was my superpower <laughs> in, this, in this case because I didn't realise how if there is a if there is an industry more complicated than payroll, yeah. it's a vocational education. Yeah. <laughs> um, so mash them I, together. Yeah, I know. And, collide. Yeah, what are you what were you thinking? <laughs> so I decided that we needed to have a cert for and a diploma in payroll and everybody told me that that wasn't possible or, and I thought, well, I need a consultant. I need someone who knows about this. So I'd call all these consultants and they'd say, no, you'll never get it through the regulator. And I said, why? And they said, it's too specific. Like, can't they just do cert for and bookkeeping or maybe a cert for an HR? I'm like, it's not bookkeeping and it's not HR. 
And um, of course, the industry was crying out for it. So one of the good things is, is you need to get industry responses. So I think I sent out about 40 emails to some payroll managers I knew and I got 40 letters of response on, you know, big company letterhead saying we absolutely need this. But it was really, really difficult to find a consultant to work with to even build these courses. And I finally spoke to a lady called Angela from the Gold Coast. Um, and I said to her, look, and I was at the end of my tether, I was actually close to giving up. And I said, um, we really, the industry really needs payroll qualifications. We need competency-based qualifications, not just people that have, I've learned from Barry, who's learned from Sue, and we've just learned all the, all the wrong things or all the bad habits. But I said, everyone I talk to says it's too specific, it'll never get through. And she said to me, well, I just got a Cert 3 and Orchid Growing approved. So it doesn't seem any more specific than that. And I was like, this is the lady I need to work with. So it was only that I met Angela that we were actually able to do this. And we've had, I don't know how many graduates of the Cert 4 and the diploma now, but hundreds. And the feedback from them is incredible because what they say is, I now have the confidence because I've got this piece of paper. I might have been in payroll 20 years, but now I've got the confidence because I've got this piece of paper that says I've got the competencies I need. I can go to my CEO and have these conversations. I can go to my HR director and my CFO and say, hey, listen, you know, I'm seen now as an authority. Mm. Now, why employers would not invest in their, you know, in, in their staff um, for the, you know, if you're running a 1,000-person t- a payroll, Mm-hmm. And you've got a couple of people in the pay office. Yeah. For six or seven thousand dollars, you can get them qualified. It huge. It locks them in. It's a huge benefit to the organisation, and it makes them feel good, and it shows that you're supporting their career. I don't see a downside to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, awesome. So that was a rant. Sorry about that. No, no, that was good. <laughs> that was good. We love the passion on this podcast. <laughs> Let's switch to questions, Trace. There's, you know, there's gonna, there's more here than we're gonna be able to get through. Right. We okay. might have to go back with like an FAQ or something. But uh, the first one is more a comment. You were spot on, Tracy. So someone actually agrees. Oh, good. Is that good? <laughs> <Woo>. <laughs> You're on the right podcast. <laughs> uh, first question I'd like to call out. Can Tracy give an indicate? This is an interesting one, Tracy. Can Tracy give an indication of FTE effort for a payroll function, ballpark figure of number of staff paid to one FTE payroll? Mm-hmm. This depends. Um, and it, what it depends on is whether you're paying weekly, fortnightly, or monthly. And it also depends on your industry. And yeah. it also depends on your technology. Yeah. Having said all that, uh, in all of the benchmarking surveys that we've done, we calculate this is really very, very ballpark um, because it does depend on all those things. But on average, if you're paying monthly, one FTE should be able to do about 1100 monthly. Um, it's about 580 fortnightly and about 300 or just over weekly. So they're your ballpark figures, but it does depend. I mean, obviously if you're running a, you know, a law firm versus a construction site, that's going to be different. Absolutely. Depends on things like complexity of awards and so forth. All of that. Yeah. Um, so this is a good one, Trace, more on education. What's your opinion on the diploma in payroll services? Is it better than the Cert 4 or maybe explain the difference? Okay, cool. That's a good question. So one of the things that happened um, recently, a couple of years ago, is that ASQA, the regulator, finally did decide through their, their regulatory partner, which is PwC, that we should probably have a diploma in payroll services. And right. I thought, what a great idea, because we had the, the only one you could do with it was ours. So I was actually involved in putting that together. And you might think that's stupid because I was actually developing a product that would compete with our product because we also, we have a, we have the diploma of payroll management, 
and there is a diploma of payroll services. The issue with the diploma of payroll services is it's written for bookkeepers. So you'll notice in there, you've got some things on GST, you've got some stuff on customer service, and it's, um, I can't remember the exact um, units, but it's written for bookkeepers. So it's actually the, the payroll services is how it gives you the competencies to provide basically outsourcing to your customers. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, is that our RTO, which is Australian Payroll Institute, our trainers are actually ex-payroll people. So we used to partner with TAFE and TAFE are great at delivering training, but the, what we were getting, the feedback we were getting, because payroll is so complex and so specific. Very specialist, is, right? Yeah. Our students were saying, we love the trainers. They're lovely. They can deliver the content. The problem is when we come back with these questions. So if I need to know about long service leave in Queensland, the chances that the head of, you know, accounting at TAFE doesn't actually have that information. So whilst they were good at marking, they couldn't give the feedback. Yeah. So we give an awful lot of feedback, um, which is actually why our diploma and our Cert four are more expensive because we just spend so much more time yeah. uh, because we have to, because the content is huge. Yeah. So the comparison between our diploma and the most likely much cheaper payroll services diploma is that they just are not the same content yeah. and they're not delivered by um, by specialist payroll trainers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, this is a good one, Tracy. Similar to the risks, are there items you need to be careful of to put your payroll data in the cloud uh, or, or outsource overseas? Really interesting. We, uh, What's your view on those two? I'm yet to see offshoring work well. Um, and it's not because I'm so glad you, can't... you said that because you know why we call Aussie pay Aussie pay. Oh. <laughs> well, hopefully all your team are qualified and in Australia. Um, I, I would think that they are. Um, and the reason is not because, you know, people in the Philippines or in India or Malaysia or wherever the sort of lower cost economies are that you might choose to put your payroll team they're all highly qualified. They could all have degrees in accounting and smart people. But the problem is when you try and make payroll um, so so process-driven, there's always 20% of a payroll process that someone has to make a decision somewhere that knows about your business. Yeah. Now, if that happens offshore and they don't have access to how your business actually works or um, – that process just stops. Mm. So most of the clients that I know who have had their payroll offshore are either bringing it back in-house or putting it in the hands of a payroll outsource company that has local um, payroll processing. Um, it's not like accounts payable. You know, accounts payable, You there really is a process that's hardly ever deviated from. Um, payroll is not like that. So that's why it doesn't work as well as other, you know, offshoring other um, other parts of your back office. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think in terms of data in the cloud, I think that... Um, oh, data in the cloud. I knew absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably happy to comment on that as well. But um, I think that uh, there's absolutely no doubt that there is an irresistible trend towards the cloud. I think arguably, mm -hmm. you know, if you have a specialist technology provider who has the right focus on security, the right security credentials. You know, the, I think the, the absolute, uh, I guess the benchmark for that is ISO 27001. Uh, then arguably payroll stored in the cloud uh, or in, in AWS or wherever else is, is arguably more secure uh, than, than you could actually achieve potentially on-premise or uh, with, with it, within your own capability. Absolutely. That's my view. Absolutely. Um, 
what I would do if I was looking at a cloud-based system is I would ask the vendor, where is the, where is the data? Yeah. Um, because some vendors, it's at AWS, it's at, you know, and, and, and you know, Amazon and Google and those guys have probably got slightly more money than the rest of us to actually invest in security. That's right. Um, but you also have some people who have private clouds and they might have servers in their office. And so, so just because it's in the cloud doesn't mean it's in the secure cloud. So ask those questions. I also did a podcast uh, recently with Tal Williams from um, Holman Webb, a law firm, and he goes through all of the, yes. the privacy um, requirements. So yeah. that would be, if that is a question um, that you're interested in more, have a look on our website, check out that podcast with Tal because he goes through in great detail what you should be looking at. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, now, um, you were able to give your your education and training a bit of a plug. So here's a question. Does HR3 have capability for staff to enter times to meet the annualized salary reporting requirements? Uh, yes, we absolutely do. Please visit hr3.com.au <laughs> and make an inquiry. Um, so tra- this, people there. <laughs> this is a good one, Tracy. Do you have a view on how much artificial intelligence and machine learning will change payroll in the coming decade? Look, I... I'm always looking to automate the low-value tasks. So if there's anything low-value that you're doing in your pay office, um, automate it, simplify it, use AI, however however you do it. Um, The quickest way to figure out what's uh, manual, where are the spreadsheets, where do you use your calculator, what paper is involved in the pay process, you can get rid of those things. Do I think that um, AI and machine learning and all that stuff is, is going to replace payroll humans? Not in my lifetime. Um, that is because so much other things have to happen before that could be achieved, which is, you know, harmonization of, of payroll tax, harmonization of long service leave, um, complete change in the industrial relations uh, industry that we, we find ourselves in. So I can't see, I ju- there's just too many decisions that have to be made by a human based on all sorts of criteria. Some may not even be in your payroll system for machine learning or AI to, and I mean, look, lots of people will say she's a laggard, she has no idea, but I can't see it happening anytime soon. No, I think, I think first of all, I would say with AI, I think there is enormous opportunity. It's the technology is going to become more and more accessible. There's going to be more and more people that understand its capability. Um, I think some of the opportunity around things like awards interpretation, uh, machine learning to, you know, understand patterns of, of pay data, you know, I think it's inevitable, uh, which uh, happens across all our technology, will happen across all our technology solutions, uh, but uh, likely yeah. also a uh, human oversight. Oh, absolutely. And what, what we want to do is have the high value work done by the humans and the low value work done by the machines. Yeah. So like you say, all of that low value work, extending timesheets and calculating awards for sure. The, the massive opportunity that most employers are missing is the data that sits in the pay office. And yeah. wow, imagine if you actually got some some AI and machine learning analytics on yeah. that. What could that tell you about your business? Most employers are not going anywhere near yeah. that data. So totally agree. Okay, we've got time for one more question, which is a shame because we had a heap more, Tracy. Mm-hmm. And it's I'm happy to. I can see that there's lots. Um, so I'm happy are. to. I'm happy to type out answers That'd and, and awesome you can you share can them. Do that. Um, how does, uh, actually, two-part question, because there's two here, and it's all about, lots here about annualised salaries, not too surprising. Mm-hmm. How does an employer whose employees don't or never uh, have done timesheets comply? How they, if they've never done timesheets? No. Well, it's not, it's not, a, it's not uh, I think the, the law was from the 1st of March, so it's not retrospective. Yeah. Um, 
so the way you comply is if you're in one of the awards that's affected, you need to capture yep. in some way, doesn't have to be on a piece of paper, um, start, stop and break times for all employees. Yeah. Yep. Now, I like this one. This is a bit of a silly question. We're in regional WA, so we've missed out on some of the Eastern States news in all of the COVID hype, uh, right. which is <laughs> actually sounds quite a splendid place to be. I was wondering if you yeah, elaborate on the new Victorian legislation. Is this to do with penalties for underpayments? Yes, it is. So it's um, it's a wage theft bill, and it went through, I think, last night. And it's either not sure when it's going to start yet, but at the very latest, first of July, twenty twenty one. Yeah. And it's um, includes criminal criminal charges yeah. uh, and jail time potentially for directors. Um, yeah. But it, 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 so it's 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 a big stick. And uh, would we expect to see other states follow? Uh, I I wouldn't be surprised. Absolutely. I think this is a national problem. Yeah. Tracy, awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Who knew peril could be fun, you see? People don't believe me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. I'm really, I'm really appreciative, Mark, on, you know, ReadyTech's really, um, you know, gone deep in peril and you guys really care about, you know, your clients and I see that and uh, I, I'm really grateful that you, you know, I know that you're, your background is more the education side. So I'm just glad that we can pull you into payroll. So you fell into it as well. You I actually genuinely find it really fascinating <laughs> uh, because yeah. it's complex problems and it's really about people, right? And uh, yeah. look, it's a fascinating time for payroll, challenging time for a lot of people mm-hmm. working in it right now. But thank you so much for sharing your insights. Anytime. On the of payroll. So, uh, and we'll get back with some of those questions and we'll send out a live recording Thank you so much to the audience for joining. Uh, and uh, look, if you want to hear more from Worked, you can access our podcast at readytech.com.au. You can also find Worked on your favorite streaming service. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks, Tracy. No trouble at all. Have a great day. See you guys. Mm-hmm.